I'm sure you've all probably heard the phrase, the writing's on the wall. Um, not something you want to hear. <laughs> you don't want to hear that at work. You, you don't want to hear that with regard to your favorite sports team, uh, your favorite player, you know, whatever. It's just not something you want to hear. The writing's on the wall. Well, today we're going to look at the, the origination of that saying. Uh, it came from Daniel chapter 5. Um, although we're not really going to spend much time thinking about the sign itself or really even the consequences that God brought and what, what it meant and the, the meaning of the sign. Well, I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll reference it. But what I want us to think about as we read um, some passages out of Daniel 5, we won't read all of it, though we're going to read a good part of it, um, is think about the missteps of the king. Um, think about why God did what he did to this particular king and what, why he gave that message. Um, so we'll start um, in Daniel 5, verse 1, and we'll read just the first 12 chapters. Ah, sorry, 12 verses. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with, pur with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the word, words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, Solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So in these first 12 verses, we have the plot. The setting is given, where we're located, who's involved, the characters. And we're given, uh, I guess you might say, the, the tension in the story. The tension is... There's this message that came by this 
really strange way. I mean, it'd be one thing if somebody walked in and wrote something on the wall, the king would you know, probably have his head cut off. You know, why are you writing on my wall? But it could have been the same message. It's not just the message, it's the way the message came, right? There's this disembodied hand floating there, writing opposite the lampstand, right? So we're even told it's where it can be seen, it's in the light. Um, and he's really worried about this, and all, you know, all these people come in. And you know, for those of you who have been here as we've gone through Daniel, yet again, he's not called first. I don't know why. And apparently this king didn't even know him. Didn't know who he was, didn't know his name. Um, so really, I'm, we're already not impressed with Belshazzar. Um, but the queen uh, knows about it and says, okay, you need to call this guy. You know, all these men, they're not going to be able to tell you what this means. Nebuchadnezzar has had experience with him. He appointed him to this position. Uh, he, he can do this. Um, What's interesting, though, is when Daniel does come, the interpretation of the writing and in what it means is just really short, like three verses. But he spends this long, relatively long amount of time sort of rebuking the king before he even tells him what it means. Uh, and I want to read that uh, here in, in these next few verses, and then we'll, we'll get into more you know, teachings and application from the word after we get through there. So let's start reading in verse 17. This is after Daniel's been brought in and the king has asked him for help. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor, and because of the majesty that he gave him, all the peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened by, in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. They took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts. His dwelling was with wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. We'll read the writing and its interpretation at a different point, but I wanted to focus on the things that Daniel has to say about Belshazzar. There's really two things that he says here. He says, one, you knew that God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar. 
this is this wasn't a secret. This, this he's, and if you look in the history books, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't like his immediate father. He was an ancestor. He was a, a predecessor. But I mean, again, in these times, that's what you would say: your father, Nebuchadnezzar. He was a, a famous king. Everyone should have known what happened to him when he was humbled and he was out eating grass. And not only that, but then he returned to his kingdom. Belshazzar knew that Nebuchadnezzar had been arrogant and that God had humbled him. Daniel says that. You knew this. And Belshazzar used Jehovah's vessels to glorify what I'm going to term non-gods. Right? instead of Jehovah himself. These are really the two things that Daniel really expounds on, explains to Belshazzar. They don't really seem all that bad. I mean, he's not out killing God's people. He's not doing some of, I mean, some of the things you see in Jezebel and Ahab and Manasseh. I mean, when you think about some of the evil people from the Old Testament, you know, the actions they, they took against God and against His people, this sort of pales in comparison to that. Um, at least from a human perspective, right? Just doesn't stack up. But really, that's what Daniel's explaining to him is, you were glorifying gods of metal and stone with vessels from the Lord of heaven, whom you know humbled your father. And I just want to make sure you understand that before I tell you what this means. I mean, that's what Daniel's going through. He's telling him this. Um, here today, we know <clears throat> that these golden vessels weren't an end in themselves. You know, it's not like God's just into blank. I mean, God could make the earth out of gold if he wanted to, right? He made gold sparse and precious on the earth so that he could use it to teach, right? We could be walking around made out of gold if God designed us that way. That's not what he designed, right? So we know that the, the vessels themselves weren't something in and of themselves an end. They were something that pointed forward to something else. In fact, um... We know from what Jesus said, the law and the prophets, everything pointed to him. Everything pointed forward. It was, it was, and Paul says it was used to teach us something. I'm going to suggest to you that we possess holy vessels today. Individually. I don't mean like as a collective. I mean you, you, we. We possess holy vessels today. And we're in danger of the exact same transgression and, by extension, similar consequences. So I want to look at a New Testament passage to kind of introduce us to that. Um, let's look in Acts chapter 10. And we'll start reading in verse 9. You know, 
Belshazzar and his lords and his wives and his concubines, they could have been drinking wine out of any kind of vessel. And they still would have been glorifying gods of gold and silver and wood and stone. But in the, in the text at the beginning, it's pointed out to us that he sent people to go get the vessels that were from God. And Daniel points that out. But you took vessels from the house of God. So there's, it's not just merely the fact that they're praising these other gods that aren't gods. They're actually using vessels that God has set aside as holy to do that. And Daniel points that out as that's a problem in itself. So I want to look in Acts 10 at, some, at a similar idea, beginning in verse 9. This is Peter's vision um, as he's waiting to receive the men who are coming from Cornelius. The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now the point I want to make here is we, have, we understand in our day that common is different from, you know, holy or special. But I don't think we... Uh, we use the word common quite like they used it. For them, something common was actually something base, something not to be meddled with, not to touch. Right? Something unclean was the word. And in fact, if you look up the Greek word that was used here for common and unclean, they're almost had to have the same meanings. He's really just repeating it for emphasis. It means something that was unholy and shouldn't be touched, shouldn't be interacted with. Now, we know from the story of Acts 10 and 11 that this is kind of a teaching for Peter so that he would understand later what's going to happen with Cornelius. God is not tempting him to sin. I mean, yeah, we can use this to say that, hey, there's no unclean animals now. Right? I mean, that's... To, and in fact, if you go back to the Gospels when Jesus said, it's not what enters the mouth that defiles the body... There's commentary made by the gospel writer saying, and thus he made all things clean. So we have two different passages that talk, but that's not the point here. The point here is God saying, when I, when I state, when I tell you that something has been cleansed, you don't treat it as common anymore. That's the principle he's trying to teach. And that principle is going to be applied when Peter meets Cornelius and sees the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out on him. It's not that Cornelius had been cleansed from his sins at the point the Holy Spirit was poured out, but that he was capable of receiving the salvation that he received in baptism. And now, Peter, you don't think of him as common or unapproachable or unclean anymore. And we know Peter had a problem with that. Paul says Peter had a problem with that. 
He would eat with the Gentile brethren, and then when some came from Jerusalem of the circumcision, Peter would withdraw. That's treating them as common. That's treating them as unclean. So I would say the application for us today, every human being on this earth is created in the image of God. They are an image bearer of the creator of the universe and your creator. Just that aspect means that they should not be treated as common. That's what sets human beings apart from anything else you will interact with on this planet. Live or not. Animals, plants, possessions, buildings, homes, electronics. The people that we interact with are image bearers of God. And we should treat them that way. Not as something to be disdained or avoided or refrained from. But I would say there's even a level on top of that. And there's the idea of cleansing that comes in. Beyond that, Christians are not only created in the image of God, but are being recreated in the image of Christ. Paul says, you are now a new creation when you arise from the waters of baptism. And in Romans 12, he says we are being transformed, or we should be being transformed, into his image. What God has cleansed no longer treat as common. I cannot know how God is intending to use you. If you are a Christian, God has the power and the ability to use you in ways I can't imagine or comprehend or have any knowledge of. But on some level, because you're a Christian, you have submitted to His will and you have given, on some level, based on your understanding and your maturity level, you've given your, your life to Him. And He will use you. And so I need to treat you as something God intends to use and knows how to use and has the power to use for His glory. Not as, as my own tool, how I want to use you, or certainly as something unholy or unclean. That is what Belshazzar did. It's not that these golden vessels were in and of themselves to be worshipped. Right? And we're not, I'm not talking about worshipping other Christians. But God spoke and said, I've set this aside. This is mine and I have a purpose for it. And when he used it for any other purpose... He profaned what God had cleansed. Remember, all the instruments of the tabernacle had been cleansed with blood. It's the same for Christians today. God has set Christians aside with a purpose. And He knows that purpose 
and we don't always know the purpose. In some, in fact, we rarely know the purpose for our own selves in God's plans. But when we treat other Christians as common, we're doing the same the same thing Belshazzar. Or when we try to use our brothers and sisters for things that are not holy, we fall into that trap. I think if we could view each other as vessels that God has prepared for His service, um, we'd be more patient. We'd be more kind to one another. Um, I think we'd be more helpful to one another. I want to help you in whatever you're struggling with because God's using you somehow. And I don't want to be a hindrance. I actually want to be a help for that. Um, and we'd be more loving toward one another. I think we'd identify with one another a little better. You know, I don't know how God's using me. I don't know how God's using you, but he's using us. And that's amazing. And I think we would start sacrificing ourselves more for, for each other if we, if we had that kind of view. So that's... That's kind of the example of the view outward. I want to look at one more passage, and then we'll be through. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is the passage that James read. Second Timothy chapter 2, and verse 20, Paul is using this image of vessels and applying it to God's household. And he just makes a kind of an innocuous statement here in verse 20. I mean, it doesn't really hold any kind of power except when, he apply, except when he adds verse 21. So let's look in verse 20 again. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. You know, if you go, go into large houses, which is what he's re- referring to here, a great house, if you go into a great house... Inevitably, you're going to find a curio cabinet. Or you're going to find some china. It's locked away and you can't touch it. Um, maybe it's used once every five to ten years, you know, whatever. Um, in a great house, there are, there are vessels of gold and silver for honor. But in that same house, there are vessels for dishonor made out of earth or stone. Something that's just to be thrown away or just used in a way that it's going to be tossed. You know, I don't, it's dishonorable. Okay, that's great. You know, Paul's teaching me about plates and bowls and cups. Right? Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone... Now it's getting personal. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter or from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, Prepared for every good work. So there's one aspect of my attitude toward people, right? And the fact that they're image bearers of God and how I need to respect that because God is holy. Whether or not that person is chosen to be holy, they bear the image of God. Above that, there's my attitude toward Christians, right? Someone who has said, I understand I'm a sinner, 
I've gone to God in repentance. I have been baptized to receive the forgiveness of that sin, my sins. And I intend to walk with Jesus for the rest of my life. My attitude toward those people is not only are they image bearers of God, they're being recreated in the image of Christ. And God is using them, or intends to use them. This now reflects back on myself. That's how I view outward. Now how do I view inward? Paul says right here, you have a choice. In God's house, there are vessels for honor and there are vessels for dishonor. He's not giving me a formula to hold this up and say, well, is Josh, what kind of vessel is he? No, he's giving me a mirror to say, what kind of vessel am I? If, if I will cleanse myself of these ungodly things that we'll read here in just a few seconds, I will be a vessel of honor. Not just a vessel of honor, but he says, useful for the master. You know, God looks down and says, all right, Richard's ready. Finally. <laughs> I've been waiting long enough. I can use him in this area, right? He's got all this other mess, and I can't use him. But finally, you know, he's useful this way. It's my choice. And it, it, it's your choice what kind of vessel you will be. So what, what, what you know, practical things does Paul tell Timothy? I mean, again, if you think about the setting of this, you know, Paul is staring at death. And he's writing to his son in the faith. I think he hopes to see him because he tells him to bring some things. But he says he knows he's being poured out. So this is what he wants him to know, is he wants him to be a vessel of honor. So look in verse 22. Flee youthful lusts. Pursue or chase after, run after it. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Look in verse 23. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. For what purpose? If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. We need to avoid the fleshly lusts, Right? and pursue righteousness. But we need to avoid the intellectual lusts. Right? I just want to argue. Or, you know, this thing that, that, that she's pursuing here really doesn't matter, but you know, I'm just going to go in and just attack her because I can see a flaw in her argument. Right? She's made a logistical error, and so I'm just going to attack. That's totally useless in, in this passage to God's, God's purposes. Completely. I mean, that's what he says. Useless. You, if you get away from these things, you will be useful. So if you're giving over to these things, you're useless. You can't be used by God. And that's saying a lot. I mean, if you can thwart God, 
<laughs> right? That's what you've done. You've made yourself useless to God. You know, he had a purpose for you, and you said, well, no, um, not today. But it's, it's up to us. We can be holy vessels. And it's not just a matter of, well, I just don't feel like being a holy vessel. I'd rather be a, a vessel for common use. Um, the fact is, if you're made in God's image, you're intended to be a holy vessel. And the reason that's a little terrifying is look what happened to Belshazzar. All he did was drink wine out of some golden cups. Yeah, he was involved in idolatry, but the thing that's pointed out is you did it with these golden cups. We are intended to be honorable vessels, useful for God's purpose. So, we won't read the rest of Daniel chapter 5, but the words were basically accounting numbers. Mina, mina, shekel, and a half shekel, or half shekels. And no one understood what that was. So Daniel looks at that and says, you know, mina is an, an amount Shekel is a weight, and a half shekel means division. And basically what that means is you just, you don't add up. The, the kingdom is being taken away from you. Um, we don't want to hear those words in judgment, that the kingdom is removed from us. But if we treat vessels that God has set out as common, including others and ourselves, I, I think, I fear that, that would be what we would hear. So, think about the people you come in contact with as being image bearers. Think about the Christians you come in contact with as being remade in God's image. And think about yourself as having a choice. Whether you'll be a holy vessel or not. Thanks for your time.